Your presidency is like the craziest show on TV, and it's on 24 hours a day, and we can't keep up. Well, too bad, because this show is going to run for eight years, okay? Even though it should have been canceled months ago, but don't worry. We have plenty of fun plot twists coming up. A lot of your favorite characters will be coming back. Kim Jong-un, Carter Page, even that little psycho Steve Miller, okay? Also, I don't want to give away too much, but in an upcoming episode, we will find out that Kellyanne has been dead this whole time, okay? Well, thank you for being here, sir. On behalf of everyone, I just want to say, I can't believe you're president. I feel the two-pack. And live from New York, it's Saturday night! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 42, Episode 20 of Saturday Night Live with host Melissa McCarthy and musical guest, Hein. I'm John Murray and I'm joined this week by Steve Finn, as well as our new youth and women's issues correspondent, Taylor Morgan. Taylor writes about SNL over at HeroHabit.com and you can connect with Taylor on Twitter at TaylorTCO. And you can connect with us at SNLAfterParty.fm. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. These reviews help us to get the word out, and they're greatly appreciated. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Melissa McCarthy. We've officially come down to the penultimate episode of season 42 of SNL. We only have one more episode before the summer hiatus, and... Obviously, a lot to break down. It's been a crazy week politically, a lot of uh, shenanigans afoot. So SNL had a lot to draw on. And uh, yeah, we've got uh, <laughs> a ton of uh, high moments and, uh, you know, just a, a lot, lot to work through tonight. Before we jump into the episode, though, uh, I want to take a moment to introduce our audience to our new youth and women's issues correspondent, Taylor Morgan. Uh, Taylor, say hello. Hello. <laughs> okay. So the big criticism that the podcast has received over the last few months and I, I think rightfully so, is that there's really only so much uh, a person can listen to a bunch of nerdy white 30-something guys talk about SNL before it's obvious that maybe we lack a well-rounded perspective on on all aspects of the show. And so obviously there was a, a feminine quality lacking in the podcast. And so we're making moves to correct that. And so <laughs> in, in the interest of that, we're bringing up Taylor. She covers SNL. She is a super fan and a Kate McKinnon apologist. And uh, she has obviously some perspective and some insights that we can't bring to the show. And so we're excited to be able to have her in the mix to, uh, you know, hopefully freshen things up a bit. With that said, let's get into a little bit of news and feedback before we jump into the episode review. Bobby Moynihan, his CBS sitcom is officially ordered to series. So if we were holding out hope that maybe Bobby would be back for season 43. I think it's uh, pretty much a done deal at this point that he is definitely heading out. So uh, next week is it. That should be our send off for Bobby. Do you guys have any thoughts on Bobby's contribution to the show? And just uh, <laughs> just what what did Bobby mean to the show? Yeah, I'm going to miss Bobby. I mean, everything he brought to the show was fantastic. Everything at the desk and everything outside of the desk. You can't replace Bobby. There's going to be a little hole in the show. Yeah. I'm going to miss him a lot. But I, uh, I wish him luck in all of his future endeavors. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm sure he'll do well. Hopefully the, the show's good and, you know, he gets, uh, what is it? Five seasons and a movie. Is that, is that what they <laughs> Six seasons. Six movie, seasons yeah. in a movie. Yeah. Uh, Steve, 
we've had lots of conversations about Bobby and what he brings to the show. And yes. a lot of the highlights from season 42 involve his, his performances. What's the show going to be missing when Bobby goes? Going to be missing a lot that I don't think anybody else can, can bring to the show. And that's why we had him for the eight or nine years. He did it because, you know, Lauren has an act for picking out unique, creative talent. He sees that in its infancy and, and knows how to nurture it and make it flourish. So, you know, Bobby really grew over the years on the show and he owes a lot to the show with uh, how far he's come. You know, one side of me, the selfish side is, you know, kind of upset that he's leaving because I want him to continue making my favorite show as great <laughs> as it is. Cause that's, he, he does that. He's a big part of it, but you know, my better self wants to say, way to go, Bobby. It's great to see you moving forward and, and uh, advancing your career. It's funny because he did say at one point that he would stay on SNL for as long as they'd have him. But I guess you flash enough CBS money at a guy and uh, <laughs> thoughts can be uh, swayed. Yeah, that's sweet, sweet CBS money. Yeah, it's not like I would turn it down. <laughs> He's been one of my favorites on the show, probably my favorite. The amount of acting ability and and the the depth of his characterizations i think is really unparalleled at the show and he's really grown with it and really just figured out how to just bring his best every time he's at that point where he never missteps i don't i i can't think of anything in season 42 that wasn't stunning from bobby and so he's leaving on a high note right this isn't the sort of thing where people are bored of him or, or he doesn't have anything to offer the show. And he kind of goes out with the whimper. He he's really taken that show for all it's worth. When a feature player starts on SNL, they kind of owe the show for their big break and their opportunity to get out in the spotlight. But after a certain number of years, it starts to reverse itself and the show starts to owe a debt to the players that really make the show great. And uh, that become a draw and become a headline. And Bobby is one of the reasons why I tune into the show. And so I think, I don't think the show owes him anything. I don't think he owes the show anything. I think this was a, uh, a match made in heaven and they both gave each other <laughs> kind of the, the best years. And, uh, it's just time for him to have some fun and do what he wants on his terms. And I really hope his show goes great. We got a little bit of feedback. Agent Panda has checked in and asks to what degree do you guys feel a host has purview and input regarding, or even affects the sketches that see it to air? Lorne is obviously the final arbiter, but in what way do you feel the writing team will craft their weekly works based on the host? Um, I would imagine that the host has uh, a bit of like bit of a say in what they actually do on live television in front of, well, now coast to coast. Sure. <laughs> you kind of need the host to be on board with the show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they're not willing to do something and they're not going to do it, but um. Even the way Melissa McCarthy was with her physical comedy, they really tailored everything to what she does best and what she likes to do and what she enjoys doing. Yeah, it, it has to be something that speaks to the host because they're the ones who have to deliver it. Absolutely. Steve, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, whenever a host comes on, they definitely have some influence on how that show is going to go for the week. They have somewhat of a producer's hat. It's a smaller hat, maybe like a, a Malibu Barbies <laughs> size hat on their head. But yeah, they they have some power to say, you know, I'm comfortable doing this, not comfortable doing that. And, you know, they're they're great with working with all kinds of people. So many people come through those doors, whether it be actors, comedians, mm -hmm. uh, musicians, models, athletes. 
that's really what makes the show uh, work overall is that the, uh, the host feels like they're in control of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not even just that the show creates that illusion. They, they genuinely do put their stamp on it because they are part of the process every step of the way. Now that's not to say that the show doesn't hold their hands. Like there are limits, right? The production team isn't going to let the show go off the rails because the whim of a host is dictating it. But they bend over backwards to make sure that the host is fully invested in the material and just kind of the behind the scenes process that facilitates that. And something that's pretty unique to SNL is that they do bring the host in earlier in the week. The host uh, is involved in the initial pitch meeting. So they're kind of getting their ears tickled with all the ideas uh, that the writers are, are hoping will become part of the show. And because of that, they then have a chance to lobby a little bit and offer insights on what material kind of connects with them and what ideas uh, they're enthusiastic about, because if they're enthusiastic, then it's hopefully going to create a better energy in the sketch. So they're right there from day one. And then, you know, they're at the table reads and they're involved in the writing sessions and throughout the week rewrites and all the rest of it. So right up to the point where the show goes live, the host uh, just out of necessity has been there in lockstep with the production. And because of that, there is a back and forth where they're both sensitive to the other's needs. Every host is different. You know, some really want to micromanage everything. Other people just come to play, but one way or another, the end result each week is that a good amount of the host sensibilities and personality is baked into the final result. And you will see that if you watch the show consistently, every episode has a different tone, a different energy, a a different sensibility because every step of the way, the host has been a factor in the process. So yeah, it's a really interesting hybrid symbiotic, you know, insert other highfalutin (laughs) word to describe the weird relationship (laughs) that happens when someone comes to host SNL. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a unique thing to see on TV. I don't know any other show that really takes that approach or, you know, that even broadcast live, if if we're going to get down to it, SNL is its own unique creature. And this is one of the kind of like core activities that the show does its own way that makes it special and makes it its, its own unique kind of creation each week. So yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question, agent Panda, but hopefully, (laughs) hopefully somewhere in, in all of that, there was an answer for you. Pretty in pink has checked in. She says, I'm a big Kate McKinnon fan, but for the life of me, I cannot stand Debet Goldry sketches. It follows a tired format of one weird character. And in my opinion, adding McCarthy's character made it even worse. My question to you is, do you think this recurring sketch is starting to get old, despite the fact that it had only started this season? Taylor, you are our in-house Kate McKinnon apologist. Yes. Uh, so is Pretty in Pink, is she off base here, or is there some validity to her complaint about the Debet Goldry sketches? Uh, first, I really like that title. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that proudly. Okay. <laughs> as much as I do love Kate McKinnon, I'm a huge fan of her work, everything she does. But um, no, I'm going to have to agree with Pretty in Pink. Um, the Debet Goldry sketches are definitely getting a little bit old. And especially how many times they have done it this season. It's just, it's a little bit too much. We've seen enough. I, I understand trying to capitalize on Kate McKinnon and her celebrity. But yeah, it's, uh, I agree with Pretty in Pink. It's, it is a definitely a format that's, run its course and uh you know this this uh this time was a couple too many and i would have rather have not seen it in this episode yep i think i was over it last time the first time it came out okay good you know they they know that this kind of vehicle this formula of uh you know the rule of threes you've got the two normal characters followed by the bizarre character played by kate mckinnon 
they know that that works. And so when they did reinvent it and have a new vehicle, the first time that she showed up, it was clever. It was fun. And if they had done anything to even just change sets or change the other actresses on the panel, if there was anything that you could point to and say that they tried to spruce it up or or breathe new life into it, then I'd maybe feel different. So yeah, I, I think I'm over it too. Guess we're all in agreement. Yeah. Yeah. We have some new feedback from Reddit user Runky Wyron, who asks <laughs> Yes. You sure that's how it's pronounced? It very well may be Reddit user run Kiwi run, but as you all know, you know, I, I have my my issues with uh, how I pronounce Reddit usernames. So we're going with Runky We Run. Yeah, we're probably dealing with a giant from Game of Thrones. Yeah, I <laughs> I think that's the obvious conclusion we should reach. It is Reddit. <laughs> True, true. Uh, yeah, the haven of, of trolls and other miscreants. <laughs> Runky Wyron says, I was afraid that the Sean Spicer sketches will grow stale with its semi-formulaic spicy gets angry, spicy on the dolly, spicy terrorizing journalists, spicy podium run amok. But I think the Melissa McCarthy sketch was the perfect ending for spicy. So uh, let's unpack that a bit. Do we agree? Is spicy running out of steam? But was this a fitting finale? I hope that it was a finale for Spicy. Um, if it was, I think it was great. Yep. If we have to see him again, I or her again, <laughs> I think it would be overdone at that point. Yeah, I don't know where else they would go. What do you think, Steve? It does look like this was a conclusion to that whole series. It's a common practice for SNL to kind of cut to a pre-tape to close off a you know a narrative that's been threaded through the show. Mm-hmm. If you remember when... Um, uh, when we saw Stefan and, and, and Seth kind of do their last little will they, won't they? <laughs> right. Yeah. So we cut to that marriage to Anderson Cooper uh, pre-tape. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something they do. It had kind of a dramatic feel to it. And it really did feel like like a finale of sorts mm-hmm. to that aspect of the season. And yeah. Will we see her again as spicy? I honestly don't think Sean Spicer will be doing this job for much longer. No. No, it, it does definitely look like reality is lining up perfectly with the show's production needs. If the real spicy makes an exit, then this couldn't have been timed better. Uh, if he doesn't, then it's kind of a shame because I agree with you guys that I don't know where else they can go with the character before it's going to start to become just sort of a joke of itself. I felt from the second time we saw Melissa's spicy that I could already feel that it was running thin because they they relied so heavily on the the premise and the setup and even just recycling the jokes from the first one. It was obvious that they had a really good beat on the character, but only in this one kind of sketch format. And at a certain point, they need to break it out of that. Tonight, they found a fresh take on him by giving him the the crisis of confidence in the Trump administration and then cutting to that pre-tape, kind of like you said, Steve, they elevated it. They found something to freshen it up, make it more fun and more memorable and really make this uh, a high watermark for the character. And that's exactly when you want to exit the character. And so I hope that they handle this a little smarter than they did with the Bernie Sanders character. <laughs> yeah. You know, with Bernie, they gave him a really nice big send off and it was so fitting and just, it just felt right. So I was a little disappointed to see him show up right at the beginning of season 42. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in total agreement. It's time he takes uh, a big boy nap for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he found love. They had their trolley little embrace there at the end. So 
what else can you do? Right. We, we had the spicy Trump showdown, right? That was the big moment. Alec is this big draw for season 42. Melissa McCarthy is this big draw for season 42. When are we going to get him in the same room? And they gave it to us. And not only did they gave it to us, they gave it to each other. So, uh, <laughs> I just, uh, you're not going to do better than that. You just plain and simple. There's just nowhere else to go. That's going to be a nicer finale for that character. So please SNL do not drive him into the ground. But that's enough on spicy. Let's get into the episode recap. Cold open. Lester Holt interviews Donald Trump. Michael Che, seeing him outside of the desk was very nice. I think the audience reaction to him was really well, too. They were very receptive of him, Mm -hmm. which they typically are. And I think he was he was pretty good at capturing what Lester Holt and the rest of really all of the interviewers that are going through the Trump motion are feeling right about now okay. how tired they are and just nothing, nothing matters. He can yeah. just say whatever he wants at this point, which um, I think SNL has a really good way of capturing that and how they feel. Yeah. That was a, a very smart little observation they threw in there. what do you think, Steve? Was this a, a win? Yeah, it was uh, it was a successful outing for a cold open. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for the, you know, some of the writing, it was uh, it was clever, especially when, Trump full on admitted that he fired Comey to stop the uh, Russian investigation. Right. To which uh, Holt replies, Oh, I guess we got him. We finally got him. <laughs> Gets that message in his earpiece. Oh, no, no, nothing matters anymore. That hit home for so many people that, you know, there was a, a real rumble yeah. uh, in response to that line. And, yeah. you know, it is very true. That's what a lot of people in America are feeling right now. Yeah. They were not coming up short on things to goof on. This was good. This was one of the better Trump outings I felt. I, I felt like um, even though it was a very standard format, you know, kind of the the week in recap, kind of a, a cold open, uh, I felt like it, it It felt pretty good, pretty fun. All right. Well, let's take a look at the monologue. In celebration of Mother's Day, Melissa McCarthy takes Joan on a whirlwind tour of the SNL studios. I was head over heels for this monologue. It was adorable in every sense of the word. <laughs> Just the, the reaction from Joan. And seeing her face while Melissa was pulling her through um, backstage and yeah, just celebrating Mother's Day in that way was very, very sweet. Yep. This Joan uh, lady, you know, really did a good job. She was a good sport. Mm-hmm. She had her tequila. She held on to <laughs> her foot cream and ketchup. You know, she was there for the for the ride and she looked like she was having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Any fan of SNL would love to experience that feeling of, of stepping out through that door and walking down those stairs. And to kind of vicariously do that through this, uh, this Joan lady, you, you feel excited for her mm-hmm. and it got me really pumped for the rest of the show. Yep. It was a lot of fun. It, it's not joke heavy, even though Melissa McCarthy was able to have some fun as they were touring around. There's a lot of little sight gags and, uh, the, the lively showed up. So there was, there was some humor in it, but for the most part, yeah, this is the mother's day show. We're just going for fun sentimentality. And, uh, I think it, it ticked all the right boxes that way. Uh, for anyone who's wondering, however, that was not an impromptu pick someone out of the audience. That was definitely a plant. Um, friend of the show, Rebecca Loops. Everyone should check out her YouTube channel of the same name. She does acapella iPad loops of popular songs, and you will waste a lot of time listening to her stuff. But she was at the show, at the live show last night, and she noticed that head writer Chris Kelly was chatting with Joan before the show. And then, um, Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Sarah Schneider that came out this morning and confirmed via Instagram that it was in fact her mom. 
Yep, that's correct. That's right. So it's nice that they were able to have fun with it. But yeah, she was she was vetted. Uh, just if anyone wanted the illusion ruined, there you go. <laughs> okay, let's look at our first live sketch of the night. We get Just Desserts, where Melissa McCarthy's Marcy Hill character is accosted by pies during a confection-themed game show. I thought it was a win. I mean, I love the cheap gag of the pie in the face constantly <laughs> over and over again. There's a reason it's classic. Yeah, it just worked. It worked. It landed. Every time she got hit in the face with a pie, I laughed. And I'm not afraid to admit that. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, that is a hot take. And that's, I think that's probably <laughs> true for most people. It was, it was charming. Uh, Steve, any great insights? Yeah. Some things will just never stop being funny. <laughs> things as classic as slipping on a banana peel or stepping on a rake or taking a pie to the face. Sure. Okay. It was half frustrating to watch this sketch because you kind of feel for Marcy. She just can't catch a break. <laughs> and, you know, it's all of our first times watching this game show. So we don't know the rules. We're kind of learning them as the show goes on. Right. And more and more, it just gets stacked against this poor Marcy lady. <laughs> you know, even when Kate's character gets a pie, she at least has some money to buy it, which is apparently a rule <laughs> that you can just buy the pie and give it away and have it smacked into somebody else's face. It was kind of mean of her to give it to Marcy. <laughs> it's like they had it out for her. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Obviously, Melissa McCarthy is known for her physical comedy. She makes a mess of herself at least once each hosting gig she does. Right. So yeah, this is uh, this is playing to her strengths, and and of course, uh, you know, she sold it, and it was uh, it was a fun uh, fun first sketch for sure. Yep. It seems like they were probably sitting around saying, "Okay, Melissa's going to be showing up soon. How are we going to just devastate her this time around?" Right. <laughs> We, we've had the salad dressing stuff. We've had all these other physical comedy bits where she just ends up drenched and, and disheveled. So, uh, yeah, this has got to be tradition at this point. It's her fifth time out. What are they going to do to top it? And this is what they came up with. It was fun. It was silly. It was dumb. There, there's really, there's no depth here. This is just, let's have some fun with Melissa McCarthy because she's our friend and we know she's game. It was good. It was fun. After just desserts, we get a pre-tape Amazon echo silver. It's the only smart home device designed to be used by the greatest generation. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Taylor, what do we know? Uh, what, did, what did you think about this? Was this well-produced? Oh, yeah. It was great. It was accurate. It was funny. We got to see everyone dressed as an old person, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. I'm always really taken with the cast when they get into that like old person persona because they just pull it off so well. Mm -hmm. And they make everything, they just make everything funny, even when it's like, kind of cringy because it's very accurate yeah but you just know it's just funny yeah i didn't feel there was anything weak in what the the players brought to it steve what did you think was this a win yeah it definitely was this is uh the kind of comedy i love i'm always in favor of bits that are observational by nature you know it's it's one thing to write bits that are like you know two guys walking to a bar or right. why the chicken cross the road that kind of stuff has its merits but when you can just write something that doesn't have any actual setups, punchlines, and is just a depiction of something in real life, mm -hmm. you know, that's a slice of genius a lot of the time. And this is definitely an example of that. Yeah, there, there's definitely some truth in it. There's no quicker way to win me over um, with a sketch than just find something that everyone can relate to. 
that is so obvious and just tap into some truth and just explore that. And like you said, we don't need a lot of hard punchlines. It doesn't have to have like a big climactic joke to bring it home when it is observational. And when it is really sharp and smart, that's, that's all I need. And this one was a win for, for all of those reasons. It just, yeah, it was really good. It really painted a endearing picture (laughs) of old people's inability to connect with technology and just all the things we know are, are true about people in their later years. Yeah. A lot of fun. We get another live sketch. This time, Sean Spicer is back and he is having a crisis of faith in the Trump administration. Yeah, I think besides the first um, spicy appearance we ever got, I think this was my favorite one. Other than that, mm-hmm. um, the pre-tape section added a really good, really good final moment for right. Spicy. Yep. And seeing seeing Melissa McCarthy ride around the podium <laughs> in New York City online and videos and stuff like that was very funny. Yeah, it was neat uh, earlier in the week when a lot of those videos started dropping. Nobody who was taking them really knew what the goof was. Is this just them going out and doing a stunt for publicity? Was this just meant to build enthusiasm for the show? Uh, Turns out, no, they were actually filming this bit. And now that we see it cut together and really what they were going for, uh, I I agree with you. I thought it was a really great, great way to elevate the the spicy material that we've now seen um, too many times. Oh, I just assumed that was Melissa's morning commute there. <laughs> yes, obviously. <laughs> Show up in, in costume, save yeah. some time. Sure. They say that thing really can get around. So yeah, if you're in New York traffic and you can just weave and bob your way through, why not? <laughs> Everyone should get a presidential podium. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. If I was going to rank them, I would put this in the number two spot. The first one was really inventive and fun and fresh and it just came out of nowhere. No one was expecting it. So that was obviously, that that one has to be the the historic one that everyone points to that first outing, but I felt like they worked really hard to figure out how to take the material and go somewhere new with it. And I really respected it for that. It wasn't just a retread of the other ones. It started that way. We have the press briefing room portion of it, but then they said, okay, now we really need to go big and we need to give the audience that moment where Trump and spicy meet. So how do we get there? And I I feel like they really worked hard to make that fun they knew Melissa was coming in. They said, okay, we got to do something good with spicy. And I think they did something good with spicy. And so that, that to me is a win. Yeah. You know, obviously that last bit with the, uh, the embrace and the kiss that was <laughs> purely there just to troll our president. <laughs> yep. I got to hand it to him for taking that opportunity because they, they are very fully aware that Donald Trump will watch this show. Yeah. You know, he hate watches it for some reason. And uh, yeah, they took that opportunity to, intentionally try to upset him and uh yeah that's that's a pretty bold move (laughs) that's a bold move cotton (laughs) yeah Yeah. it's obviously not hurting them any i think they've been emboldened a little bit by the ratings bump to realize that people are eating this up you know there there really isn't much downside to trump bashing right now and they're they're definitely leaning into (laughs) it so uh yeah this was our big spicy send-off hopefully and uh, i was very happy with it let's talk a little bit about both musical performances by heim they came out with want you back and then closed with little of your love. So Taylor, I have a feeling that Haim probably lines up a little closer with maybe your generation and musical take maybe a little more than me and Steve. So I'm just going to open it up to you. <laughs> Were we happy to see Haim this week on SNL? Yeah, I was happy to see Haim. Um, I love their, their recorded music. I'm a big fan of them, but um, I had never actually watched them perform live before. It was interesting. They sound the same. I have a lot of respect for them and mm-hmm. the music that they make together. They're all three of them. They're three sisters. So I'm sure that's not exactly easy to make a band out of your family and keep it going. But um, they did a great job. These girls obviously 
come from a an extensive musical background and they know what they're doing up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I can't say that Heim is a band that that I would enjoy that patter singing that they do that rapid fire multi-syllable uh, style of singing is a little bit too, uh, too crowded for me. And it kind of, uh, it's kind of reminiscent of eighties music, which is, is not really my bag, okay. but I can definitely appreciate and respect what they do for sure. And I got to give a shout out to the bass player for, you know, <laughs> catching up all those flies that were buzzing around eight H. Cause you know, they were landing in that gaping mouth. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not really sure what that was all about. It, it it looked like either she was just really intensely focusing on delivering her part of those choruses that they do. I, I wasn't sure exactly what was going on. I my note on it was bass player high question mark. Like there there was definitely something going on. I don't know if that's her normal performance face or what it was, but yeah, there <laughs> that was something. I guess, you know, my thinking on it to kind of counter you, Steve, is this is actually the kind of music that, that I would listen to. And in fact, the first time that they performed on the show, I immediately went out and found that single. Cause I, I thought that that was a exceptionally catchy tune and, and it was refreshing when I, when I saw them perform last time. And maybe it's just cause I'm a couple of years removed from you that I like things from the early nineties and late eighties. And so there was a lot about their sound that I thought was, it was refreshing to hear them tap into uh, styles and, and genres that we don't hear too much. Uh, I was hearing a little bit of kind of Pat Benatar meets Wilson Phillips and I liked it. I like those, the rounds where all three of them are together in the chorus going back and forth. Mm. Uh, I, I find that, that to be fun. I don't think it's an overplayed sound right now. So it worked for me. What do you want a metal or something? <laughs> no, just, just pointing out that, uh, <laughs> that there, there is some value in that late eighties, early nineties. Uh, what would you call it? Just, I don't know, girl rock stuff. It's been long enough, like that that era is far enough behind me that I, I don't feel there's any baggage to it when I hear it personally. I just assumed that everyone was a fan of the 80s music. Well, that's apparently not Steve. <laughs> Guess not. I like the Smiths and the Cure, but that's about it. Okay, well, it was a big decade. I mean, to say like all 80s music, that what does that mean? I don't know what that means because, you know, there was a lot of stuff that passed over the airwaves during that decade. But for my money, I enjoy Heim. And uh, like you said, Taylor, their performance is spot on. It's really, really tight. And uh, yeah, sound sounded like we could have been listening to the album for just how controlled the whole performance was. So high marks for me. Yeah. Let's talk weekend update. Sure. <laughs> sure. Obviously, with all the, the Trump craziness this past week, Jost and Che were going to be hitting that hard right out of the gate. And they did. Uh, they covered the Comey firing in depth. And uh, yeah, they cover a lot of ground, actually. So, Steve. You're more passionate about politics, so what what are your thoughts, considering it's been such an eventful week? Did Weekend Update do justice to the crazy? This is why comedy shows have their best ratings when, you know, the political climate is at its worst. Right. And they came out swinging, and I think they did a good job. Uh, I'll never look at James Comey again without thinking of the word gosh. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a good string of uh, opening jokes for that first portion of weekend update. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I thought this was pretty strong. I thought Che was a little fumbly at times, right? Like it wasn't the greatest execution of the material, but the material itself was pretty strong. I thought that little runner they had with the James Brown uh, record scratch to punctuate the, the jokes that Che was telling. I thought that was a, a good bit. I have a feeling some stagehand is probably getting fired for not doing a better job of uh, patting down the uh, powder on Che's forehead. I don't know if, if you guys caught that. 
Was he uh, reflective and shiny? No, no, he wasn't. But he he had. It looked like maybe it was um like glue or something from when he had the 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 wig on for the Ooh. cold open. Oh. There was something on his forehead that was obviously not supposed to be there for the first half of weekend update. And then during the Pete Davidson feature, a stagehand came in and cleaned him up. And so he comes back looking sharp, but yeah, there was, there's something weird going on with his forehead for the, for the opening salvo. That's weird. You'd think there was more than enough time to catch that between the cold open and weekend update. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking too. Yeah, he, he, he was backstage that whole time with that hanging off his face, and nobody said anything. Uh, well, it wasn't it wasn't hanging off? It looked like it was like shellacked on. Like there there was some sort of like he had glue on his forehead or something. And then when they tried to powder him up so that he wouldn't be shiny on air, it looks like the powder clumped on the glue, and so he had kind of like a um, a light brown paint stripe across his forehead uh, <laughs> and they probably didn't see it because he wasn't under spotlight so it, it probably wasn't until he was actually in the lighting on home base that it showed up and then you know it's too late <laughs> yeah those fernells can be unforgiving yeah the the fun of live tv sometimes you get that but if you ever rewatch it go back you'll see that before pete davidson and after pete davidson there's something very different about Chase's forehead <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's talk about pete davidson because he is back and he's discussing how boring sobriety is and the common pitfalls of choosing your rehab facility while high taylor are you a fan of what pete brings to weekend update yeah i love pete he's pretty relatable on a lot of stuff he's got that attitude that don't really care attitude that a mm-hmm. lot of uh, my generation seems to carry. Um, I think he's hilarious. And um, a lot of the material that he has brought to Weekend Update, I think I've heard before on different talk shows. But he always really knows how to punctuate what's going on and what he does in his life. And I think maybe choosing anything while high is a bad idea. <laughs> but I really appreciate what he brings to the table. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I, I think I prefer the the straight up monologues over maybe uh first impressions and, and some of the other things he's tried. I think that's, that's fair. He's definitely an open book in a lot of ways. He does mine his own life for comedy and it seems like he's gotten very comfortable bringing some of the true things, you know, the, the real things from, from his life and experience into his comedy that should be applauded because not all comedians have that level of confidence to be able to open up, you know, wounds and <laughs> uh, just kind of let it all hang out on stage. Uh, so I respect it. Yes. And now that he's purging out all that uh, tainted sperm, we Jeez. should be getting many, oh, no. <laughs> many talented Davidsons to join SNL when they're ready. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> here's hoping. Don't cut any of that. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll leave that in. You you want to lower the bar and and uh, take us there? I'm, I'm, I'll let you. I'll, I'll go with it. Okay. So after Pete Davidson, Cecily Strong comes out as Kathy Ann for, I believe, our third time this season. This time she is calling out the Republican leadership for not having the backbone uh, that they should have when, you know, investigating Trump and calling him on some of his shenanigans. So did we want to see Kathy Ann again for a, a third time this season? Was, was Is this played out or is there something here? It's always nice to see Kathy Ann. And I think Cecily is, well, her last name, she really embodies that. She's very strong in every character that she does do. Mm-hmm. She was really able to bring something to the table with this, though. It's just funny seeing character like Kathy Ann, who is not someone you would expect to have a lot of wisdom. Right. She just, she drops bombs and she makes you really think like, <laughs> holy crap, this is, this is what's going on. This is real stuff. Yep. But I, I enjoy, I enjoy her Kathy Ann. Um, her accent was a little bit different, I think, in this weekend update. I don't know. Maybe I was the only one who heard that, but she had like a really, a different accent, like a spin on it. 
Yeah, maybe. I think she's a little more dialed in than a couple of the last times. I know that her impressions tend to bleed back and forth a little bit between Kathy Ann and girl, you wish you hadn't started up a conversation with at a party. Sometimes maybe she's, you know, she's going a little astray. I thought this was pretty dialed in. Like I, I felt like she was pretty consistent end to end with it. Steve, what's your, what's your take on this? Did you want to see Kathy Ann again this week? Oh yes. Uh, Kathy Ann, she's proven to be a great vehicle for commenting on current affairs. She's basically the living embodiment of a failed credit check. I think we all know people like this and you know, they're, they're probably good souls, but they're rough around the edges and uh, they've seen some uh, stuff, so to speak. Sure. You know, she might be a little crass, but she does say some very astute things and she, she made some really good points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Kathy Ann is at her best when she has something to be really riled up about. Kathy Ann is just crazy enough to be the right person to uh, really call out the Republican leadership. Yeah. You know, she says something to the effect of, you know, grow a pair and put your country before your party or whatever that flies coming out of Kathy Ann's mouth more than it would from some other personality that maybe is a little more measured. You, you can, she can get away with a lot more. And I think that's really the fun of the character. So I thought that if there was a week to wheel her back out, this is probably it. I'm not a super big fan of the character, but I thought that, of all the Kathy Ann appearances, I think this was one of the stronger ones. Maybe it was just the nature of the week and the amount of news we had, but I, I felt like she was really firing. So it was, it was good. I liked it. Yeah. Agreed. For sure. Yeah. Let's keep moving along. Back half of the show. Film Society of Lincoln Center Roundtable with Marion Cotillard, Lupita Nyong'o, Debet Goldry, and newcomer Gay Fontaine, played by Melissa McCarthy. I, it wasn't something that I needed to see again, mm-hmm. especially with the same characters, um, Marriott Courtyard and Little Peter, right. <laughs> which just wasn't something that I needed to see again. As funny as it might have been, it wasn't. It was just the same thing recycled. Yeah, they didn't really reinvent anything, and Melissa McCarthy wasn't enough to make it feel fresh. So I, I'm I'm very much in lockstep with you. What about you, Steve? This uh, there seems to be a habit that the writers want to kind of insert the host into one of uh. Kate McKinnon's rule of three sketches that she leads. They um, don't really add anything. It seems when they do that, you know, they kind of just group them into a two headed character. Basically Uh, they play off each other, but they share the floor at the same time. You know, they go from Marion Cotillard to Lupita Nyong'o and then to the two of them together. I don't know. They just kind of diluted the sketch even more. Sure. So, it did not improve on an already stale sketch. In fact, I think it just staled it further. Yep. It wasn't a win for me either for all the same reasons. Uh, I have a feeling that this might be one of those, a friend of Kate's is at the show and maybe they just want to do something that's a bit of an indulgence for them. Cause it seems like it, it'd be a fun character for them to play around with. So this might've just been one for them and uh, they weren't as worried about the audience and they thought, okay, well we'll just throw it in the back half and no one will be watching anyways, but by, by that point, so whatever. Okay. Kate and Melissa go have fun with this. Yeah. You can put on your neck waddles and uh, be a little crass and then we'll, uh, we'll move on. <laughs> I, I don't think they were pinning the show on this sketch and neither should we. After Film Society, we get another pre-tape. This time, Kyle and Leslie are experiencing marital problems, which are inevitably resolved by shooting Colin Jost. Okay, Taylor, we've seen a few of these uh, SNL behind-the-scenes reality show pieces. Was this a good entry for the series, or do you feel like it's running out of steam? 
Oh no, I think it's a great entry for the series. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing it again either. <laughs> I think it's great. Especially throwing Lauren in there and having him be actually be a part of the sketch. Yeah. I think it's hysterical. Yeah, that was fantastic. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I'm really enjoying this continuing narrative. I was a little bit scared that they were dropping it when Leslie did her weekend update bit about going to Jamaica because she talked about finding a new lover and stuff, mm. which is contradictory to what they've established uh, with her <laughs> and Kyle. Sure. But, but these are different realities, right? Like, uh, yeah, there's the SNL cinematic universe. And then there's like the SNL live in house show, right? This is part of the SNL cinematic universe. So right. different continuity, different timeline, different Kirk. Oof. Yeah. Weekend updates, like the X-Men of SNL. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It lives outside of the larger universe. Yeah. So, you know, aside from wondering if this was going to continue to be a thing, just to bottom line it, Steve, were you happy to see him again? Definitely. Yeah. And this is probably one of the best that they've done so far. Mm-hmm. It was just so bizarre and <laughs> it's, it's, it's got a surrealist kind of quality to it. Like there, there hasn't even been enough passage of time to have a child that right. age. And like yeah. they're married <laughs> and like, just look at the kid. It's like, a clear, like, comedic amalgam of Kyle and Leslie. Just let's take Kyle's hair, Leslie's skin color, throw some glasses on him. Mm-hmm. That's their kid. Let's name it Lauren, by the way. It's perfect. Yeah, yep. it was perfect. It was. it was perfect. Little production note on that that I got to give credit to whoever did it. In these pieces, Kyle's glasses are always a little askew. They're a little off angle just to make him look even that much dorkier. Yeah. If you notice in every scene, the kid's glasses are very intentionally angled to mirror Kyle's own yeah. askew glasses. What, what a little touch. You've got a few days to produce this thing and they've got that level of finesse on the piece. Yeah. I just love the direction they took it. It was very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, the Kyle and Beck stuff often does is it goes to weird places and a lot of it can uh, seemingly be out of left field. And, you know, I don't think anyone is expecting Kyle to just pull out a piece and <laughs> cap Colin Jost. Even funnier and even more surprising is Lauren just <laughs> kind of being okay with graphic violence happening in his studio just yeah. because Colin can be annoying at times. Yeah, this is not even close to the craziest thing that he's seen happen on the, the studio floor. Yeah, that was a, a fun little touch. And that's become a running gag, too, of a little aside from Lauren where he has this this measured little bit of wisdom that he throws out. <laughs> Did you guys see on Instagram, the Saturday Night Live official account posted a picture of Colin with a cast on his leg, like covering <laughs> his entire leg? He did that during the good nights. Like he was off to the side, so you didn't see him on screen much, but he was wearing that just as a callback. Yeah, with the crutches. And yeah, I thought that was fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. This this was a high point of the night for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, we get another live sketch. A gaggle of moms encourage a new mom to embrace her symbolic personality mom animal. Now, Steve... This is obviously a retread of a sketch from last year's Mother's Day episode with Brie Larson called The Cut. And when we discussed that sketch, uh, it, it came out that you are, in fact, a unrepentant mama's boy. <laughs> the umbilical cord yes. has yet to fall off. <laughs> yeah. And so you were actually a little put off. You thought that maybe this was a little mean-spirited towards moms. Do you feel like this second outing maybe hit as hard or do you think that they found a, a better way to be playful with the material? Did, did you enjoy this or did this incense you and offend your sensibilities as, as harshly as the last one did? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, 
The last time we saw this sketch, I thought it might have been a little bit too mean-spirited. You know, the way that they were talking about how mothers hate music and and, and things like that. Just making them so uh, intolerable and kind of out of touch. Maybe that is just my mama's boy and being a little bit overprotective of my matriarch. It was a, an astute observation of the whole mom animal thing. Uh, my mother's into sunflowers, for example, not necessarily an animal, but neither are angels. So I guess it applies. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I had an aunt that was just cow crazy. Everything was cow, ceramic cows, <laughs> cow calendars or cowlanders, if you will. It was, yeah, it's, it's something moms do. They identify with something and then they create a whole motif of their home with it. As stereotypical as that is, um, my mom loves dolphins. Yep. She's got dolphins all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, um, I think my favorite part of the sketch was actually Leslie throwing in her, I'm an angel, (laughs) completely random out of nowhere. I thought that it was great, though. I mean, all the women in one room pretending to be moms with stereotypical qualities is is a win for me. Yep. I think because the one that they did last year played so well, it was probably on a lot of the writer's mind that if we can find something to allow us to revisit this basic sketch premise that we're going to do it. And uh, I think what they came up with was as good as you were going to find. I thought the cut was really astute that that, that is a cliche that is right for comedy, but this one I felt was pretty much as strong and uh, it was fun. Now 10 to one sketch lighthouse features commissions, a new logo from an inept charlatan Taylor. What did you think? Was there anything of value in this sketch? Did it come together nicely as kind of a vehicle for Melissa to just kind of be, you know, physical and offbeat the way that she can be? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things that Melissa does is like the characters like she did in um like the movie Tammy. Right. Where she's just like run down and just <laughs> rolling with the punches of life and not really caring and smoking a cigarette <laughs> while eating pizza. And that's just what it was, really. Yeah. That's what that's what won it for me. Yeah. At SNL, it seems like they have a few traditions now with Melissa McCarthy. They've got the one where they cover her in some kind of goo every time she shows up. And there's another one where they do let her break out her like crass or aggressive or raunchy or like like dregs of society type character and it seems like this is the vehicle for that i wasn't so hot on it though personally because i i thought that by limiting her screen time to just the insert in the graphic it kind of it it just kind of made it drawn out where in order to get to another Melissa bit where she does something else kooky on screen, there's a lot of filler in between that, a lot of back and forth with the corporate types that I wasn't finding was that funny with Beck Bennett. He had a couple good lines, like where he cops to lying about doing the DreamWorks logo. Like that was a fun little interchange. But for the most part, I just, I didn't find that there was a lot here. And I thought it kind of sidelined Melissa a bit because they could only insert her at certain times. So this was not a high point for me. I don't think it was a win for me. It's fair. Yeah. It wasn't the best. Yeah. However, they did have a fun little moment during the good nights when Steve Martin pops on stage out of nowhere and officially inducts Melissa into the five timers club. We've seen a lot of different ways now uh, where they approach the the five timers thing. Sometimes they do a full sketch on it. Sometimes like Scarlett Johansson, they do something in the monologue. Do we like seeing it pushed back to the, to the good nights? Like, did this feel fitting for something like that? Yeah, I thought it was fun. It was something different, something that we haven't really seen, like we don't get to see too often. And seeing Steve Martin come in, that was exciting. And I think you could tell by Melissa's face how happy she was about it. So I think it was a great ending to the show for sure. Yeah. It was a great way to lead out. 
Yeah. And I got to give Melissa props because as an actress, she's really sincere. I was assuming that Steve Martin only showed up for the live show. I thought maybe they did something a little more muted during dress so that it would be a genuine surprise. But the word from people that were at dress is that, no, this was uh, how it played out there too. So she just really knew how to embrace the moment and and come off sincere. So Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. (laughs) She's got chops. If you remember the last time she hosted Mm -hmm. uh, the whole joke of the monologue is that she miscounted the number of times she hosted and (laughs) thought that was her fifth time. So it would be kind of weird to do a monologue revolving around the five timers club. Sure. When they've already just done it the last time she hosted. Yeah. So ironically, her fourth time hosting had more to do in the monologue with being a five timer than her five timer (laughs) monologue. Right. So yeah, you can't really go down that road again. So it's, it's good that they had enough time left over to squeeze that in. Because it would have sucked if they had to cut that out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So overall, you you felt that this was fitting. Like this was enough. We don't need to make a bigger deal out of the five timers thing. No, it was perfect. I just want to know where to get one of those smoking jackets. I really want one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I do not recall seeing any of those in the NBC gift shop. So I think that is a custom custom order. (laughs) I have a feeling that because we're going to have so many people being inducted into the five timers club over the next few seasons that they probably have to start making an effort to make it a, a more simple ceremony and maybe not really dwell on it as much. Cause it's, it's kind of losing its sparkle. It's not something that happens every five or 10 years. Now it's, it's something that happens multiple times throughout a season. So, uh, my hunch is that maybe what they're doing here is they're setting a precedent of this is kind of how we're going to do it. We'll have a fun little, <laughs> like office birthday party level ceremony at the end of the show, just kind of wheel out the cake and have our little moment and be done with it. I wouldn't be surprised if this kind of becomes the the standard way of doing it. I don't know. Like it, the show likes to try and reinvent things and not really rest too much on its laurels, but I think that it'll be a challenge for them to continue to find really inventive and fresh and exciting ways to do the, the five timer gag. So this, this might be more in line with what we see moving forward. And that that's okay. Really. It's not that big a deal. Not like it was maybe in the eighties the or nineties. Right. Let's talk moment of the night. What took it for you, Taylor? Uh, the moment of the night for me was the monologue with Joan. Okay. Got to hand it to the mothers. Got to see her all excited and happy. And it was just something different. It was something new Yep. for the past couple of seasons. It was nice to see. It was just, it was something that you were like, oh, well, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very cute. Very charming. Steve. My moment of the night is in the, uh, the pre-tape, the Amazon, what you call. There's a, a little, little portion where, um, where Kate McKinnon's character gets a little bit confused <laughs> when she's hearing about the weather. And it's, uh, it's something I've actually heard verbatim from uh, <laughs> some older loved ones. Uh, it's something they do to save face when they get confused. And uh, <laughs> they just, you know, just question where you're coming from. And uh, they come out with something like, well, I don't know about that. Yeah. They want to keep a little bit of their dignity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some truth there. And when they start to get dismissive like that, that's when you know to back <laughs> off. Like, yeah, I, we all know our our role when that comes out. Sure, you know, I talked about how relatable and and how the astute observations of that sketch made it work. Yeah, and that's if I had to put it in a nutshell and and take one line <laughs> out of it that captured it, it would be that. Yeah, so that's my moment. That is a good moment. For my moment of the night, I am going to give it to when Kyle Mooney shoots Colin Jost. Everybody scatters like cockroaches and Lauren Michaels is just standing stone faced off in the corner, just watching it play out completely measured, 
completely in control. <laughs> he's not spooked. He's not surprised. And then they immediately cut to a little aside of him explaining that normally he doesn't condone people shooting other cast members, but Colin Jost is quite annoying. I thought that that was just great, just fantastic that they found that moment to begin with and then figured out how to use Lauren Michaels to really make it that much more satisfying and build on a joke that they established in one of the previous ones where they didn't aside and he's commenting on how he really feels strongly that Kyle needs to lose his virginity when they give him those quick little moments to really just say something <laughs> completely contrary to what he would actually say in real life. But he, he deadpans it. I find those moments very, very satisfying. And I think, I think that's a lot of fun. So that's my moment of the night. Now, best overall sketch Taylor. Um, I'm going to have to give it to Kyle and Leslie's update on the relationship. Yeah. The pre-tape. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. That took it for me. Absolutely. Everything about it was just great. It was definitely the highlight of the show for me. I stand with Taylor on this one. Okay. That it's, that's my, uh, that's my pick as well. Yeah, I agree. I think we're all in agreement on this. It was definitely a highlight of the night and those continue to be incredibly satisfying outings and well-produced, well-paced. They have a good tone. There's just, there's just a lot to like about those, even though they're not wall-to-wall jokes, they're very satisfying. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I thought that was great. Now MVP Taylor. Um, I'm going to have to go with Kyle Mooney. Okay. Just because we saw him a lot more in this episode than we have seen him all season. And he really <laughs> delivered. He's barely been on this season. <laughs> I know. Even in the monologue, though, like he was making me laugh where he hugged Joan for a little bit too long and it was getting creepy. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks that everyone over like 23 is his mom or something like that. Yep. That got it. He just, he made me laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has an infinite supply of those really cheesy, like, grandma gift from the 90s sweaters. Yeah. You know, Argyle sweaters and little, you know, patterned animal sweaters. Just, yeah, if if there's someone who can transform themselves into an uber dork on a moment's notice, it's Kyle Mooney. Absolutely. Yeah, he had some fun moments, especially the the Kyle and Leslie stuff was was top-notch stuff. So, I can respect that. What about you, Steve? I'm going to give it to Cecily because I think that, first of all, Kathy Ann was uh, really good tonight. You know, she got to do a few impressions with Marianne Cotillard and yeah, she really tied the whole pre-tape together with the uh, Amazon Alexa. <laughs> you know, it, it was just a voiceover, but her uh, back and forth with the elderly and and just the tone of a voice she took in, in tolerating the uh, the difficulty of dealing with some confused old people. It, yeah, it, it made that sketch and it was one of my favorites of the night. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, for those reasons, Cecily is my pick. Yep. I agree. I'm going with Cecily too, actually. If there was a uh, an actual staff player that was ever present tonight, she's probably the closest to it. Melissa McCarthy kind of can dominate the show, so it doesn't leave a lot of headlining space for the other players, but she was up there as much as anyone was. So yeah, I'm going to use it as an opportunity to go with Cecily as well. Now, the big question, on a scale of classic, great, typical, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? Taylor? I thought it was great. I love Melissa. I love everything she does. I love it when women host and bring power to other the female cast that's already on the show. Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely fantastic, and I'm a sucker for Melissa McCarthy's comedy, sure. so I'm going to give it a great. Okay. How about you, Steve? My rating uh, is going to fall on a high end of typical. Okay. I entertained the idea of giving it a great, but if it weren't for a couple of clunkers, you know, there was some really, really great sketches, but overall 
you know, my enjoyment was going up and down. That puts me right in the middle on a, on an average typical episode. Sure. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm giving it a typical two for very similar reasons. It was the mother's day episode. So there was a lot more charm in the show than like really soaring high comedy moments. So it didn't really ascend to any great heights that way. It did have a few really good moments that were uh, centered around spicy and the political happenings, right? All the great moments of the show really seemed to be in that vein. And there were a few of them, but it certainly wasn't even we, we had a few lows to offset that. So when you sift it all out, I, I think it's right down, right down the middle. So I'm going to give it a typical as well, which again, on this show is not a, not a dirty word. That's still a, a good outing for SNL. So I feel that that's fair. I, I was happy with the episode. I had a lot of fun with it. I just, I don't think it really ranks in the upper echelons for the season. But as something to whet our appetite for the upcoming finale, I think it served its purpose. I think it showed that the the show is still really, really sharp and they're they're definitely shooting high. And, and I have really, really high hopes for what The Rock's going to be able to bring next week. And uh, I'm excited. It's got me excited. So mission accomplished. Any great final thoughts from either of you guys? Two five timers back to back. I guess that kind of proves your point, John, that it's getting a little bit too frequent to make a big deal out of every time. Yeah. This is your boy. This is the rock. So, this, <laughs> you know, hopefully he brings the, brings the heat. Yeah. I'm actually uh, doing his workout program now. So, uh, <laughs> step one, get a massive shoulder tattoo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I, I need the Samoan <laughs> tribal tattoos as well. Yes. For sure. All right. Well, a lot to cover, but I think we got through it. I don't have anything great to say, so let's call it a cast. Thanks to my guests, Steve Finn and Taylor Morgan. You can connect with Steve on Facebook at TransparencyCHMR, and you can connect with Taylor on Twitter at TaylorTCO. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider using and bookmarking our Amazon and other affiliate links found at SNLAfterParty.fm. It costs you absolutely nothing to use our affiliate links when shopping online, but it really helps us in covering our costs and is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in one week when SNL returns with its season finale with host Dwayne Johnson and musical guest Katy Perry. This has been episode number 22 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. This has been an amazing time. It's been an honor to host five times, and I want to thank everybody here tonight. I know. <laughs> Listen, welcome to the Five Timers Club, Melissa. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Steve, you told me not to wear my Five Timers jacket for the show. Oh, I did? That's weird. <laughs> anyway, Melissa, we're here to present you with your very own Five Timers jacket. Congratulations.
miss it? I'm so sorry. We were working on a script and we got carried away. I, it's my you calling? <laughs> I don't usually support cast members shooting each other, but I mean, Colin can be annoying.